Amen. It is so wonderful to see you face to face. Um, it just feels, some of you, I haven't seen you for, for years. Um, I mean, before the pandemic began, my hair was brown. <laughs> like, I don't know where that happened. Before the pandemic, Oliver did not have to shave. He's shaving now. <laughs> before the pandemic, John Spareboom had an afro. He's bald. Like, so much has changed, right? But we're, but we're better. It's good to be together. Um, I want to read a, a, a story that you've all, if you've driven by a church, you've heard this story. Um, it's out of Matthew chapter 14, and um, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's, it's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, save me, Lord. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You've little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, there's a bunch of things that happened just before this story, which I think is important for you to get context uh, of the story. For instance, in the early part of his ministry, um, Jesus was the one who did all of the talking. He's the one who did all of the healing. He was the one who cast out all the demons. The disciples at best handed out bulletins at the door. I don't, I don't know what they were there for other than to listen and to learn. You get to Mark chapter 6 and all of a sudden it's changed. And... Jesus gives them power to heal the sick. He gives them power to cast out demons. And he gives them power to call people to repentance. And then he sends them out through the entire region uh, in twos. And I, I don't know if you've ever been involved in a lot of like praying for people kind of work. Um, the first one's really fun. Uh, praying for people's healing, praying for a word, whatever that is. You know, the first 10 are easy. But when you realize the line is not getting any shorter and everybody wants something from you, they're looking to you for a miracle. They're looking to you for a healing. They're looking to you to solve their problems, to give them encouragement or something. 
By the time it goes on for hours, it's exhausting. And by the time the disciples come back to Jesus to tell them everything that they had taught and everything that they had done, they were exhausted. And Jesus could see that they were exhausted. At the same time, John the Baptist, who was a big deal in Israel, had been killed right in the same window of time. King Herod had cut his head off. And it's just a lot to take in. And so Jesus, he knows this quiet campground. He knows this place. And he knows that the guys need a break. And so he says, let's, let's go to this place. They, they, they get to their favorite campground, and there's over 10,000 people waiting there for them. And every single one of them wants something from the team. Everybody wants something, either a word or a healing or a deliverance or something. And they go all day. Jesus ministers to them all day. And then at the end of the day, he decides, well, why don't we feed them? And you know the story. They take five small buns and a couple fish and, and they feed the masses. Well, the disciples do the feeding. And then the disciples have to clean it all up. And by the end of it all, Jesus quickly takes them to a boat. And he says, I'll dismiss the crowds. He puts them in a boat and then he sends them into a storm. When I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is the worst weekend off ever. Like, like we're already tired and now you're sending us into a storm? It's, it's, it's always curious to me why they went to get rest and they got nothing but rest. And the Bible says that they were far from shore. It's pitch black out. They're fighting the waves. They're fighting the wind. And if things could not get worse, they see this ghost-like thing floating across the water coming towards them. And they're terrified. This is not a time to sing a hymn, read a poem or a prayer. It's the time when you scream like a schoolgirl at the top of your lungs because you're that scared. These guys were sitting in the boat and anybody that's sitting in a boat in a storm knows that the safest place in the storm is in the boat. Normal people stay in the boat. You could drown, so stay in the boat. But then Peter sees something before the others do. He sees something the others don't. He recognizes Jesus. And Peter wants to go to Jesus. And it doesn't matter how dark the night or how high the waves. It doesn't matter how strong the wind or how wet the water. Peter knows something. He knows that it's actually safer to be out of a boat with Jesus then they'd be in the ship without Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, come to, come to me. See, the boat makes perfect sense to the natural mind. But if you stay in the boat, you'll never know what it's like to walk on water. Did you notice this? That everything that the disciples were afraid of in this story was under the feet of Jesus, both figuratively 
and literally. He has authority over all of it. And that is one of the things he wanted them to see. And there are some things you can't see until you hit a storm. And Jesus is inviting Peter into a miracle. He said, come, and, come to me. And at the, at the very same time, fear wants to steal the miracle from Peter. When Jesus says to you and I, come to me, and we dare to leave our safety zone, you will do things that were before impossible. He's inviting you many times when he calls us to step out in faith. He's inviting us into a miracle that he prepared just for you. When you dare to let go of what everybody else is holding on to, you'll start doing things they thought you couldn't do either. Come to verse 29, and the Bible says, and he walked on water. Now, I love this. Oliver and I were talking about how we kind of pieced together a, a message. And words are really important, and the words in the Greek don't always say exactly what the words in English say. The word walked here, where it's describing him walk, Peter walking on water, literally means to make use of an opportunity to seize a moment and to take advantage of an opportunity when it presents itself. And when Peter did that, he began to do something that was absolutely impossible one minute before. And this, this hit me so hard. You'll become someone you never thought that you could be. You will, you will accomplish things you never thought that you could accomplish if you will simply learn to pay attention to what's going on at the level of your heart and then take advantage of an opportunity when it presents itself. Pay attention to what's going on in here and then step when the opportunity presents itself. I will tell you this, I, I, I had lots of time to think about this. Every good thing that's happened in me and any good thing that's lasted that I have set my hand to, all happened, all began when my heart, I was aware that something's shifting in here. I was aware that I sensed that God's telling me to get ready and an opportunity presented itself and I stepped. I took a chance. I've taken lots of risks. I was thinking of the one I would share with you. Um, in our, I was in my early 30s and um, really felt this growing desire um, to, to, to go to seminary and study theology. And I know some of you are thinking, what? It's like saying I had this deep desire to become a librarian. Um, <laughs> but I, I couldn't explain it exactly because I'm not one who really likes school. But I, I had this desire, and I knew which seminary I wanted to go to. We lived in the north part of the city of Calgary. And... Um, Prairie Grad School was an hour and a half north. And so that's what I wanted to do. And, and this thing was growing and growing and growing inside of me. And, and, and there are so many things that made it impossible. Number one, I'm not smart enough, really, truly. Like that's a whole new level of academia. Number two, 
It was an hour and a half north of the city, which meant I would commute for three hours every day. Winter and summer and Alberta winters are brutal. And number four, the cost was between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. We had a young family. We had lots of energy, but we had no money. I didn't even own $1,000. I didn't have $1,000 in a savings account. But Morris and I talked about it, and we talked about it. We're trying to come overcome some of these hurdles. Should we buy a small car that's good on gas, and I'll do the trip like that? We were at a basketball tournament in Three Hills, Alberta, when um, um, I wandered over into the seminary. And I'm just wandering around there, imagining being there. And it's, it's starting to get real for me. And, and I bumped into the the uh, registrar, Angela, for the school. And we, we chatted for about an hour. And I had one question, can I pay as I go? Because I, can't I don't have that much money. And so she said, I'll get back to you. Well, I expected her to get back to me the following week. She didn't get back to me for two months. And when she got back to me, she said, I have some good news. They've decided that at the beginning of the next school year, they're moving the entire seminary to Calgary. And you can do, you can pay as you go. I didn't have any money. I still wasn't smart enough. I just didn't have to drive that far. And I took advantage of that opportunity. And you know something? I did something I could have never done before. And I got to graduate with a master's degree in theology. I paid attention to what was going on in my heart and I seized an opportunity when it comes. And Peter seizes this opportunity. He is walking on water. So why are the other 11 still in the boat? He's out there doing it, he's killing it. Why are they still in the boat? Well, the obvious reason is they had a boat. And number two, they were afraid. And a really good question to ask is, what is your boat? What's keeping you from taking advantage of opportunities that, that come to you? If you want to know what your boat is, fear will tell you what your boat is. When fear sits in, where do you turn instead of God? Where do you, what do you, what do you go to? Your career, your money, alcohol, self-pity? You go to a a friend, a parent, where do you go when you're not turning to God? When Jesus called, said, come to me, and when Jesus calls you to step out of what is comfortable, he's inviting into a miracle that he's already prepared. You just, you just need to step into him. I like what Noah said. That's exactly the word today, is just keep your eyes on Jesus and walk towards him. It's not that hard. Well, it just takes risk, and we're risk adverse. It's terrifying when you are asked to step out of what is safe and secure and comfortable into an ocean of storm, into an ocean of trouble. We'd rather God join us in the boat. We'll have safe fellowship there. That's what we should do. But remember, as long as you stay in the boat, You'll never know what it's like to walk on water. And most people die in their boat. 
They live their entire lives. They never get out. They never take a risk. In the story, 11 stay in, one gets out. They like their boat. It's a good boat. It's keeping you alive. Something that I thought was really beautiful is that these guys are out in the lake. They're in the middle of a storm. When Jesus finished praying, um, the Bible says that he saw them. The text implies that he was watching over them the entire time. Some of you are in the middle of a financial storm. You're in the middle of a relational storm. Some of you are in the middle of a health storm. And you're stressed out of your mind saying, Jesus, where in the world are you? He is not always where we want him to be, but he's always watching over us. Because there are some things that you can only learn in a storm. He's watching the disciples struggle with the storm. And just because they can't handle it doesn't mean he can't handle it. And he says to Peter, come to me. And Peter had to get up and go to the edge of the boat, throw his feet over the side, and when his feet touched the water, it felt like the water had always felt. And at some point in time, he had to push off the boat. And in that moment, he was walking on water. He was doing what was impossible. And we don't know how long he walked. We don't know how far Jesus was, but we know that he was far enough that jump. Running back to the boat was not an option. He had no safety net. All he has is a strong wind on one side and Jesus on the other side. There's a faith that is produced in us when the only thing we have to hold on to is Jesus. That is where some real muscles get developed in us. But at some point in time, he gets distracted and he starts sinking. He cries out to Jesus and the Bible says immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and he's back on the water. And I was thinking about this. Well, we all have sinking moments. I tend to have a lot of those. My personal sense is I don't think Jesus is overly threatened by your sinking moments. His invitation is simply get your eyes back on me. I'll get you out of the water and we carry on. Here's the good news. That when Peter was faithless, Jesus was still faithful. When Peter took his eyes off Jesus, Jesus never for a second took his eyes off Peter. Because Jesus promised that I'll never leave you. I will never ever reject you. And then in verse 31, the Bible says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he caught him. It's interesting that for some reason, Peter's arm was not long enough to reach Jesus. And at the same time, Peter's, Jesus' arm was long enough to save Peter. That tells me this, you are never outside of his reach. There, there is nothing you have done. There is no place you can go. When you call on his name, Jesus saved me. He's right there, immediately, the Bible says, immediately. I'm going to invite the, the band to come on up. 
And once they get back in the boat, the Bible says the storm ceased. Do you want to know why the storm ceased? The storm ceased because the lesson was over. The storm ceased because the test was over. Jesus didn't send them out into a storm to kill them. He sent them out in the storm to have their eyes open. Do you remember when they got back and the, then they, they worshiped and they said, surely you are the son of God. They saw that the elements, everything was under his authority, under his feet. They learned more in that one storm than they could ever imagine. And that's the beauty of storms. As the intensity of them, we, we get revelations, if you're looking for the revelation, that, that, that outsurpass a whole bunch of book learning. Maybe one of the things that Jesus wanted them to learn was wanted them to see what was possible when you keep your eyes on Jesus. Maybe today you're in a place you feel so alone and you're pretty sure Jesus has left the building. Maybe you're facing a storm and you're thinking, this is the storm of my life. Why am I here now? What is going on? It's because Jesus doesn't show up when we want him to, but he always shows up on time. I'm going to invite Chad to come up. When Jesus says, come to me, he's inviting you into that miracle that he's prepared for you. And often that invitation comes when you are in the middle of a storm. He's saying, keep your eyes on me because everything that you are so afraid of is completely and totally under my feet.